the Return to the Forgotten Path podcast. Join us on this journey to travel onto a forgotten pathway that leads to rest and restoration. This podcast is a weekly Bible study of this week's Torah portion, known as a Parsha. It is a weekly reading according to the Jewish annual Torah cycle. Every week, we will just have a great discussion filled with both historical and cultural viewpoints as it pertains to the return to the forgotten path that is increasingly happening all around the world. We will review and share opinions from the weekly Torah, also known as the, the first five books of the Bible, the Mosaic Law. And we will also study from writings within the Haftorah portions and the Brit Hadashah, the Renewed Covenant readings. We are doing this for a purpose, and why is that? For those who may ask, what is a forgotten path? Jeremiah 6.16 puts it this way. It is the ancient and old path. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Our podcast seeks to point our listeners to that ancient old path through the study of the Bible, from the perspective of the Torah, which is properly translated as instructions. Again, in studio, kind of guiding this journey and welcoming you is RJ Cox and Laverne Cox, also known as my Hebrew name of Vivi. Thank you very much. This week's Torah portion is called Vayera. Vayera means he appeared. The reading for this week on the Torah portion is Genesis chapter 18, verse 1 through 22, verse 24. The Haftarah is from 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 37. And the Gospel is from Luke chapter 17, verses 28 through 37. Quick summary, this fourth reading is from the book of Genesis. It Describes how the Lord appeared to Abraham one day as he sat outside his tent. It gives a great telling on the first part of Isaac's life. And as we go through the entire Torah portion, it will continue with the series of tests of faith from Abraham. Uh, some highlights in the outline. The son is promised to Abraham and Sarah in 18.1. In 1816, the judgment is pronounced on Sodom. They go to investigate in 19.1 about the depravity of Sodom, which gets destroyed in verse 12. 
And then we find out how Moab and Ammon, um, those nations originate in verse 30 of chapter 19. Chapter 20 talks about Abraham and Sarah at Gerar with Abimelech. Isaac is born in 21. Hagar and Ishmael get sent away in verse 8. Abraham and Abimelech make a covenant in verse 22. 22 1 is the command to sacrifice Isaac, and then 22 20 is the children of Nahor. Wow, that's a lot. Um, may you please do us the honor of beginning our Torah study with the blessing. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of the Torah. May you please read the first. A uh, few lines, Genesis 18. Genesis 18, verses 1 through 5. Then the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the ground, and said, my Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. This Torah portion is called Vayera, which means the Lord appeared. And we see that as Abraham, uh, it, that is his new name after last week's Torah portion, um, as Abraham sees these visitors, he, uh, he jumps to it. He jumps, and, jumps up and decides to welcome them and to provide hospitality. And it is apparent after going out to meet them that he is in fact, meeting the Lord and not just a Lord. All right, so tell me, RJ, from your study, how do you um, perceive what happens during the first portion of this week's study? I know a lot of this Parsha speaks of Isaac and a lot of the Jewish commentary speaks of the binding of Isaac and there's a lot of study and commentary made along those lines. What stands out to me is the practical nuggets that I can take with me day to day. So for verse 18, well, chapter 18 specifically, the first thing that I highlighted was when the Lord and the other two messengers were leaving, he spoke to Abraham and said that they were gonna go down to Sodom and Gomorrah to see if the sins that they've been hearing about that has been done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know as verse 21 states. Then after he heard about all the news that was coming towards Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham, because he was concerned about his nephew Lot and his family, still stood before the Lord to say a few more things to try to bargain and see if there's some way that they can still be spared and not taken down with the rest of the land. Okay. Well, great overview. 
Um, is there any um, takeaways that you, some nuggets from it that you want to share? I, well, yes. Um, I would say for me, the big thing that caught my eye with that is twofold. There's always somebody praying for you, interceding for you, caring about you, even though you may not always see them physically, to know that Aunt May, Uncle Walter, cousin Jesse is, you know, thinking good thoughts and praying on your behalf. But it's somebody's always looking out for you. Be, and the Lord's always looking on what we do and tries to steer us back towards that right path, that forgotten path, to coin a phrase. So be mindful of the things you do and the company you keep because sometimes it can be very destructive if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. That is so true. And you know, um, for me this week, the, the takeaways are so much uh, just in this first chapter that I'm going to try to break down mine so that they're a little bit more succinct and not as belabored. Um, one of the things that uh, appeared to me with Abraham is not only his generosity, and I was thinking about it from the perspective of being a father um, to many nations and those who are engrafted in him from prior Torah portions. We are engrafted, or as the English reads, we shall be blessed through him. And when we look at um, the fact that the blessing that is upon us is the, this covenant blessing that was given to Abraham, are we, am I then, taking on the responsibility of being generous to others, period. Um, those you know and those that are not you know, known to you, just as you know, the father, the, the, the one who received this covenant initially, how he behaved. And then every year I always think about these things because I, I come to this place when I'm looking at it from um, the, the, per, the person that, I'm, that I am to be, I am becoming. And so what I am looking at is more so the, you know, the New Testament or the New Covenant says that, you know, judge yourself lest you be judged. So for me, I'm looking at the what has my behavior become like onto what my father Abraham practiced is my hospitality, a known thing, and my opening the door to others. And then secondly, the, the, this, the first few verses here, as we already know, um, but if those who don't know, and this is maybe your first time reading this, uh, when, when these guys, when these people appear, um, the scriptures state that they are perceived to be just guests. But then in other, um, as it continues, that we find that these, these three men as, um, that Abraham is entertaining, uh, they eat, they uh, take part, partake of a fine meal that Abraham prepares. Uh, both the, the cattle took, they took the calf and they slaughtered the calf and he gave them butter and milk. And, you know, there's a, there's a, a dining period here, but when they begin to speak, the scriptures then removes the context and all doubt 
that Abraham now is aware that this is not just three visitors mm -hmm. and that this is now Lord. He asks the question, where is Sarah, your wife? Um, so imagine, you know, you just entertained somebody, fed them, and all of a sudden they know her name. Mm -hmm. It's like, ah, wait a second. Um, and then secondly, then he's out here in the tent. Um, and the the he, that's how it's pronounced in the scriptures or stated. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, mm -hmm. your wife will have a son. And the, the scripture that is always um you know, related in, I would say, believer circles or Christian circles or in church circles, they use sometimes these things out of context. For example, one of these scriptures, uh, in the scripture, it says that Sarah left because she was listening at the 10th door. And the Lord responds in verse 13, why did Sarah laugh? Surely she, you know, surely shall I surely bear a child since I am old is what she's thinking in our heart. Is there anything too hard for the Lord, that line? And I want that to be the line that I'm going to kind of position of what happens as, you know, as we move forward. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Because what happens, oftentimes we use the, the context in common ways, and then we forget the original context of what it was placed in. So now the Lord is you know, specifically speaking to Sarah, and Sarah um, is basically determining whether or not the creator of humanity, of the world, of everything that she knows, is he capable of what he's promised? Has the, should she now release the hope or should she maintain this hope? Should she believe the words? And it's, it, the scriptures are silent on what she says after this, but we find that Sarah, well, it's not really silent, but it says Sarah denied saying, I, you know, denied that she had laughed. She said, I did not laugh um, for she was afraid. Mm -hmm. Basically, from my perspective, I would be afraid if someone knew the context of my own heart without me speaking. And it, it so happens that after these things, the men, these men arose and looked towards Sodom. And then the scripture says, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Shall I hide from Abraham? Since Abraham shall surely become great, mighty nation, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Again, it goes back to the Torah portion before. Mm -hmm. And so I started this uh, Bible study with the, the words of Yom Kippur by Steve McConnell. That's what was played originally, because the context of what is happening right now in this Torah portion is directly linked to what happened before. Remember, we said last week that. Abram kept on having um, these encounters with the Lord. He would receive a promise, then a blessing, or a blessing, then a promise. And the fact that the first one, which is, you know, arise up from your country and, you know, I will bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed is really being reiterated here as he's about to tell him something that, again, we use in you know, spiritual circles, Christian circles, believer circles, and not always remembering the context, do not remember that this happened in Abraham's life after, I would say, the many tests of Abraham's faith. And Abraham has grown 
he's not Abram that started this journey. Um, this is now 25 years, close to 25 years after having departed. And the Lord is coming to him and is revealing things to him. And in this Torah portion, we find that he is, he calls Abraham a friend. And this is to encourage some of us because when we first start out and the, the world and the, everything else that we've been accustomed to is so much more real to us than what we've been called to. Sometimes we're trying to figure out how should I balance what has been promised against the reality of what I'm dealing with? How can I hold out until I'm like my father Abraham and God calls me friend when I'm in a space where I doubt almost everything about the scripture or I doubt my worthiness of God calling me friend or my worthiness of how he's going to perceive me based on the fact that I'm not capable at this point to be righteous in my own doings. I, I am judging myself and I'm finding that I'm, I'm way away. I'm a, a distance away from where I ought to be. And I encourage people because I want them to recognize that if you use the context of the word, sometimes they can be both promise and blessing to you. They can be a promise of what happens on the journey if your life is um, walking with the Lord and you've been tested and you've persevered and you've grown in faith and you've grown in trust with the God of the, the ages. But if you are at the beginning lines, maybe like Abram and it's all new to you and you are not aware that God is going to be like that for you. You're not aware that he's going to show up. You're not aware. You haven't heard him say to you, fear not, Al-Tirah, Al-Tirah. I am your, your shield and your reward will be great. You haven't had those experiences yet, but those experiences are part of the journey. You will find that he will become the God of the rest of your soul, meaning like not of the entire, just the, the, the peace only but the God that is rest. You know, there is something that we sometimes do as human beings because we are limited in time that we try to bring God into the, this thing of time. And we try to make him in what we are experiencing. We try to make what he's stated from outside of time kind of fit within the context of what we understand time and his promises to be. And I think that is a, a, a misnomer, a misunderstanding of this journey, because just as much as he's saying it will be or it shall come to pass, there is a set season for it to come to pass because this child that Abraham's looking for, and again, is reiterating the same promise that he heard right after he, he departed from earth and he got to Canaan, he hears this thing, I will have a child. That's 25 years later. So you have to understand this has been a journey. It was declared from before and still he's, it has not manifested at this point, but it will manifest. And I feel like for believers, even though you have journeyed in your faith, you may come to that place where there's a new level for you to either go through and you're determining, am I worthy or am I prepared to 
take on that weight of faith, take on the weight of the decisions that this new level is going to require. And I want to encourage people that just as much as Abraham was declared to be a father of many nations, and it took time, or his understanding of the promise took time to manifest it for him, it, so it is true for us. It doesn't mean that you need to be uh, shying away from the, the journey and shying away from the challenges, but maybe walking even more diligently towards them. Because in doing so, you're getting a revelation of God at a different level. You're getting a revelation of God as friend. You're getting a revelation of God as brother. You're getting a revelation of God, of God as the shield. You're getting a new revelation of God as protector. So run to what he's calling you to do. And each level is going to develop something on the inside of you. And I see here a, a development in both Abram and Sarah that was not available to them had they not gone through what they did before. That's the purpose of what I wanted to share. So as the scripture gets to in chapter 18 in the, the later portion, and Abraham is interceding for Sodom, I wonder, you know, would the earlier Abram had interceded this way? Would he have been more like Noah in his day where the Lord said it and he would have done it? Does that make sense what I'm saying? You know, the, the fact that you intercede is because you feel like you have a relationship there that you can, you feel that I can talk to you this way. Whereas when I am distant from you and I don't know you, I'm not as willing to upset the balance of power. I take what you say based on authority of the relationship that I have or the authority that I know you as or the position I know you as. Whereas Abraham is now friend and he now has a different uh, understand or revelation of this relationship between him and the Almighty. And he now bargains for the lives of, of not only Lot, to be honest, he's bargaining for what in the prior Torah portion he saved. He saved Lot in his household. And prior to saving Lot in his household, Lot's household was so large that it was contending for land. So I'm certain he must have thought all of those souls that was part of Lot's household and all of the people that was under his protection and under his leadership, surely, you know, surely they did not, you know, get themselves involved in all these things. So he's, he's bargaining for Lot truthfully. So, but he's also bargaining that Lot had become exactly like he was, that he had developed this position um, and this new relationship with the Lord. And so I wanted to just kind of share those um, takeaways. You know, is there anything too hard for God? No, not at all, but it's a different relationship. Um, and the second one is uh, Abram as a friend of God. Truthfully, <clears throat> God desires that for each of us, but that takes time in our relationship to grow. And it's primarily for us more than it's for God, because we are questioning, we are unaware, we are af afraid. And we need to grow from level to level in our understanding of who God is. And we shouldn't run away from the things that help to develop it. You know, there was the Egypt tour. There was the, 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 four, the Five Kings War, Four Kings War tour. There was um, all of these things that Abraham has to deal with. Hagar and the Ishmael um, and um, Ishmael and Sarah uh, situation. 
there's things that he's dealing with that's helping to develop this faith and this understanding of the relationship with God. Hmm. <clears throat> Very interesting perspective. So you're saying that through all of this, the length of time was a blessing in disguise because it built this relationship that we get to learn more and read more about. It wasn't just simply 25 years. It was an opportunity to grow in this understanding of who this God that I'm making this covenant agreement with. And he getting to know me. All right. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the time was used wisely um, because he moved forward. And as we see going into this Torah portion, of course, it ends with the Akeda and the fact that he has the faith to believe that his son will come back with him. But again, um, we are at this place where he's, the Lord says to him, you know, you're my, you know, you're a friend and I will not hide from my friend and uh, what I'm about to do. And this is a scripture too, that is uh, Yeshua himself reiterates in the new, the new renew covenant, excuse me. I think it's in the book of Matthew. Um, I'll get the scripture specifically just now, but that is also, true for us today but sometimes where we are makes it difficult for us to fully receive the promise the promise is there that that you will be called a friend of god but where we start and where we you know as we move in, in our journey with god it takes a, a, a some developing and some understanding of who god is for us to fully embrace being a friend of God. Okay, I get you. So let's stay on that theme. And as we go to chapter 19, and we see you lot sitting there and greeting the two angels that came to Sodom. He rises to meet them, asks them to come spend the night, wash his feet, and then they can leave early in the morning. Was he, in your opinion, Developing, developing a closer walk with the Lord, or uh, was he copying "quote unquote" Uncle Abraham and doing as he's seen his uncle do? And so many times, was he growing a relationship with God, or was he having his actions after what he's seen? What well, are your thoughts? My thoughts um, on this one is, I don't know. Okay. Um, I, the intent of somebody's heart is only something that God can discern. But what we can see, however, in what um, Lot does is evident by his behavior. His actions are telling more so than what was his intent. So you know me when I in my early twenties. One of the first lessons I learned about um, uh, humankind, human beings, is you know look at the fruit on the tree. This is also within the, the scriptures. Look at their actions. If you want to discern the intent of hearts which really even man themselves can deceive themselves in regards to the intent. Look at the fruit of what they're doing. Look what's hanging on the tree. And so when I look at Lot and the fact that when he sees them sitting in the gate and his words to them is, here, now my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night, wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way um, and they said, no, we'll spend the night in the open square. And he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered in his house. I see through his words and his actions that he recognized that they were in danger. And he was not going to, having seen it, 
be responsible for what would possibly happen to them if he did not take them under his wings. Versus, let me explain to you what I mean. It says that Lot saw them and he rose to meet them. It's also exactly the same type of language where Abram also sees the visitors and he rises up to meet them. So, so you can say, yes, this is, this is patterning after Abram, but I'm looking more so at maybe it's for a different intent of heart than Abram. So he just did it to protect them? I think he did it initially because of the, the act of protection. And if you remember how he, Lot was protected by his uncle, you know, Uncle Abraham was very much a protector. And if anything, he's he's learned that to be a protector. And when Lot, excuse me, Lot was taken out of his homeland by his grandfather. When his father died, Haram died in the land, Lot was, he knows that, and I'm, I'm gonna put that, um, the connections to those pieces together. Lot knows what it means to be protected because in the initial two scriptures before, it says Terah took Lot and Abram out of um, the Ur of Chaldees and they dwelt in Haran. And it seems to me that he has seen what it means to be that type of protected. I'm going to take you and you're going to dwell with me because I can then provide you what I've been, what I've received. I think he knows that more than he knows hospitality and generosity. He knows how to be a protector or a guarantor. And so when you see these words and he insists strongly and he turns in, I, I see him, yes, practicing what he's, what has been taught to him, but I think it's also what he's lived. Whereas Abram is doing this out of a relationship. When he says to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to, unto the Lord. This is, this covenant relationship that he has with God is one where he has understood some responsible some responsibilities i don't sense that lot similar to how sarah was not right there in the midst of god appearing to abram all those other times she may have heard of what had been going on she may have heard that there's going to be a promised seed but it wasn't her experience and it was abram's experience so he has some understanding as to the responsibilities of what this experience entails and I don't see that in Lot because Lot has not, in, at least in the, based on the context of the scriptures, not to say that he hasn't seen what Abram has done. Sometimes you can look at other people's behaviors and want to mirror them, but until you come into you know, right relationship with them and humble yourself to be taught of them, you don't really understand the context of it. You on, on the surface of things can say, I would like to be a help, but there's something on the inside of you that has not been taught how to help. You haven't humbled yourself to learn how to be taught to be help or to be you know, a protector or a guarantor or whatever those additional terms of the covenant. But we've seen that up to this point, Abram has received something from God and each aspect of that means you're not gonna make me wealthy, God's gonna make me wealthy. Altira, I mean, you know, I fear not, I'm your reward. I'm your shield and your reward will be exceedingly great. 
you are a father to many nations. He's getting all of this context in regards to what is his responsibilities are, Abram that is, and Lot may not be fully aware of what that truly means. All right. What else came to your mind in going through these different chapters? I, I do agree that um, he does practice hospitality, but I think he does it out of the practice of protection. So if I look at the fruit from where it comes from, because the, here's the thing. When the, the, the men start to, of Sodom start to knock at the door, this is where the hospitality thing does not make sense. On one side, one person would say that um, Lot is truthfully practicing a, 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 a behavior that is far into modern eyes in that he decides that if the crowd will not leave him alone, he's gonna throw his daughters out to them rather than to give the, these men, or as the scripture says, two angels. Lot perceives them as men. He, he doesn't perceive them as angels. Again, bringing into mind the renewed covenant, which says that sometimes we entertain angels unaware. He was unaware that these were angels. Whereas as soon as Abram entertains, he realizes that this is not men. These are just not mere men, just based on what they, they begin to say. Lot does not realize it um, at all um, until they, the men at the door become, the men at the door struck blind and the warning is given to him. So Lot bargains with this group. And he, if he is protector of the men within his own house, and I'm thinking if that was his intent altogether, then he would have been a protector of his daughters as well. And the fact that he was willing to also more or less give the daughters to calm the the, the rowdiness and the anger of the crowd doesn't lean well to him understanding how to be a protector fully and fully understanding how to be a guarantor. Um, but it does show that on some level, he feels a responsibility to them. And it could be from what he was exposed to in his, um, his uncle's home. And so, so it says, so, when the, where are the men who came to you tonight? So Lot went out to them. He tries to bargain with them. And when they, when he hears that they said, who made you a judge over us? That's one of the things that I was thinking about. He dwelt in this land and the, there was a custom in the dates, those days that it says that he was sitting in the gate of Sodom when the two angels came. Generally, if you're sitting in the gate of the city, it's, he was made a, a judge. That's the position of a judge. The, the judges sat at the gate. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they, they questioned him and said that who made you to be a judge over us, it leads me to wonder, you know, why was he sitting at the gate? Um, did he have a, a seat of position truthfully or was he, was he doing this out of, I don't know, what was his reasoning behind it? I'm, I'm curious about Lot because there's so much here in terms of his actions not lining up with what he's doing. And I wonder sometimes if we sometimes as human beings are like Lot, we know some aspect of truth, 
And we try to hold fast to that little thread that we know of, but we're not seekers of truth. So it, it, it makes it very difficult to live by it because we don't fully, we don't have a relationship. We're not seeking a relationship to know more. He's not pursuing it. He, he seemingly, by virtue of the fact that he's sitting at the gate, um, and they, the men cry out to him these words, this one came to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. That is the issue that, you know, that I had a problem with, that he's, he is not deemed, you know, he hasn't been blessed enough in this way that people revere him. He's positioning himself for power. So he's acting as a judge over them. And in so doing, he has no real uh, place where he can really state to them, do this or not do this. He doesn't fully know as a leader by what virtue is he standing on? What principles have guaranteed him light or truth for them to be bound to? And especially in this day and age where so many people are looking for something, they're looking for a difference. Are we the difference and are we the light that people are seeing? Are we acting as judges? Are we positioning ourselves in you know, places of quote unquote power? And we have no light, no strength, no difference within us. And people are saying, you are just positioning, you know, you, you look the part, but you, you, you're not anything that we need to respect. And so I see in Lot and, and what is happening here as a warning to us, even if we are aware of who the Almighty is, without a, a relationship that deepens, without a work on um, our a development in our relationship, sometimes we may become like a lot. We'll have some aspects of it, but we may be hot and cold and people can't follow us. We're not beneficial for anything. There's a lot to think about on that one, but I get where you're coming from, doing the right things for the right reasons to get the right results and not just playing the role. You know, scripture talks about having a form of godliness, but not the power thereof. So I get where you're coming from. So Abraham passing the Sodom and Gomorrah story. We get to chapter 20. Abraham journeys south. He stays in Gerar. And he says to the king Abimelech, Sarah's his sister. Same situation as a few chapters before. What are your thoughts on that? Um, you would think that Abram has already learned this um, lesson, but it seems something's different here with Abimelech. Um, the story, to me, um, the details are a little fuzzy, but if you want to go back and read in, in, along, it is Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 through Genesis, uh, oh, excuse me, through verse 18, 21 through 18, the entire chapter here. Um, it, it, what is funny about this particular story is not what is actually happening with Abram and Sarah and, and this Abimelech, it's the fact that it happens again with Isaac. Um, I know that we're still in this Torah portion and it's going to happen in the next Torah portion. But what I find is interesting is he is journeying. Um, remember prior to this, 
Abram, I mean, Sarah, Abram and Sarah said both, we are old. So obviously the Lord must have renewed her strength and her vigor because this woman is a beauty, even onto her age that a man would steal for her at 90, before having had Isaac. Um, she is, I don't know if she goes to pieces after having Isaac, I'm not saying that, but it's the fact that whatever, what the word that was given unto her renewed her youth and her vigor so much so that Abram is like, tell everybody that you're my sister. Okay, um, because he, this is so unheard of. You should not look this good uh, to the eye. And but it says, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night, which is very interesting, and says to him, "Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman with whom you have taken, <laughs> for she is a man's wife." Um, and so it's just as quickly. Notice there's not a delay here with as in um, Pharaoh. It's interesting because Abimelech, you know, enters into a covenant with um, Abraham and Abimelech's house is blessed because it says on the account um, of the word that he receives from God um, and the fact that he entreats uh, goodness towards Abraham, there that Abimelech then um, enters into what is a covenant he allows them to dwell in the land. He says, I'll give you whatever that you need. And it says, God blesses him. So when Abraham prays in verse 17, God um, heals Abimelech, he heals his wife, he heals the, the female servants, and then they bore children. I remember, I'll, I'll be uh, really short with this. I remember um, there was quite a few young people when we were coming up that wanted children and they were having some challenges. You know, they were having a challenge with um, coming off of birth control and things of that nature. And, you know, what should have been the natural progression or the natural cycles were not um, as simple for them as it was for us. And I remember just simple things that God would just put within my heart, pray for them. Because especially during the seasons where I was either carrying a child, for example, or I had just given birth, for example, but generally and more so during the periods where I was actually carrying a child that the Lord would put people on my heart that either were about to carry children or they were um, praying for children. And he would, he would, I know he blessed them because he put it on my heart to prophesy and speak the word in prayer to pray for children for them. And so I see that when um, this particular uh, entreaty is given that the Lord answers. He answers Abraham and he does open the wombs of the entire house of the Damalek. And because of Sarah, it says it was open because of Sarah, because of Abraham's wife. Abraham prayed, which is interesting. Abraham prayed. Abraham entreated God. But when the blessing of the children happens, it happens because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. That's awesome. That's powerful relationship. And, you know, paradoxically, when it was mentioned today, you know, be, be careful of the company that you keep because they are either helping to develop you into something fruitful or destructive. They're pulling you back down. So too, even in the covenants that we, we now have with one another, they are either by virtue of connection, mm -hmm. We're being blessed, blessed in so many unseen and unknown ways 
whether it's open with businesses or with opportunities or favor or children, you know, it's by virtue of the relationship. And so too with Lot, it says that Lot was saved because of the righteousness of Abram. So we have to remember to be aware, um, not only of entertaining strangers unaware, um, also by being con conduits of blessing to other people, keeping our eyes attuned, uh, our, our ears attuned, our eyes set on what God has access to focus on and our hearts ready to entreat God and to seek God's favor and mercy on somebody else's behalf. Maybe your prayer, maybe your call, maybe the, the thing that in, in provides favor and open door of escape, salvation then uh, for an, another generation of people and, and that will soon become believers as well. All right, so we go into chapter 21 and we now find Isaac is born. Um, Hagar and Ishmael depart. A covenant with Abimelech is ratified and Abraham's faith is confirmed. Is there anything between chapter 21 and 22 that you would wish to, you know, mm -hmm. share anything? Well, 22 is the climax of the whole portion where they're discussing how Isaac should be offered as a burnt offering. And depending on how quickly or slowly you want to go through this, you can talk at length about it or you can touch upon the highlights. It's your choice. I just see some of the similarities between this telling and the allusions to Messiah's birth. You know, you're taking your son, your only son, Isaac. The Abraham and son go forth. The third day, Abraham lifts his eyes and sees the place afar off. And he gives a statement to the young man that traveled with him, stay here with the donkey. Your lad and I will go yonder and worship and we'll come back to you. You know, that's a very telling statement to be able to sit there and not know how the story is going to end, but know that somehow, some way it's going to end well. And even before the binding of Isaac, Isaac says to his father, I see the fire, I see the wood, but where's the land? And Abraham says, my son, God will provide for himself the land for a burnt offering. But yet, you go down two verses, Isaac's the one that's being bound and laid on the altar upon the wood. At some point, this guy, you know, Abraham was 100 when he was born, and we're a few decades into Isaac's birth. You know, he could have took the old man. He could have been like, oh, no, we're not tying me up. We, uh, no, this is, this is not the way the story is going to go down. Y'all have been telling me all these years about how I'm going to be the head of a mighty nation. I'm going to have a seed that's innumerable. And now here I am tied up on some wood on an altar about to be slain like an offering. Something ain't right here, kid. Um, I'm out of here. But he keeps going. And... Lo and behold, as the angel of the Lord calls to Abraham and tells him to stop, Abraham lifts his eyes, he looks, and he sees a ram caught in the thicket by the thorns, and the ram is now being offered up for the offering instead of his son. And Abraham calls the name of the priest, the Lord will provide, or as you would um, see in the King James Version of the Bible, Jehovah Jireh, and he said, and the mount of the Lord shall be provided. So going back all the way to everything that you were saying in the beginning, 
growing in this relationship, you start to realize that God's the one true source and not so many other things that we put our hope, faith, trust, or understanding in. It's a tough one because you can't really see it. So it's very difficult to believe in it and you don't really learn it overnight or speedily. So it's a, it's a journey, it's an adventure. It's a real coming of age story once you start this relationship and you keep growing in it. It takes a lot out of you because it challenges everything you've ever learned and ever known. Because even if you've been in a faithful community and family, how it expresses itself in your walk is different. Your life is not going to be like your grandmothers or your uncles or your brothers or your spouses. So everybody's got to take this walk for themselves. You're absolutely right. Uh, my take on this is a little differently. And that's exactly why I love studying. So two things come to me. Number one, it's uh, this is now our 12th year being in a Messianic community. Um, and the first thing that comes to me is I, from the, the way that the Christian community reads this and from the way that the Jewish community reads this, it's a little different. So I'm going to kind of share like the differences. The first thing that was come that came to me is that when Isaac is born, um, what we recognize initially on the, on the, in the, the Torah itself, it says, Sarah says these words, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children for I have borne him a son in his old age. Well, we can laugh and laugh back and say, God, um, because, in, because in the words of Sarah, God has made me laugh. Verse six, chapter six of verse, chapter 21, verse six, 21 um, of 21. And all we hear who will laugh with me. And so I say this in, not in jest, but in as a word of encouragement and faith that the irony of the development is that it seems that not only was it 25 years for the son, but it was for Sarah to come into understanding. And so one of the things that um, the spirit of God said to me is to look up uh, the other instances in the scripture where a birth was foretold. And so by virtue of just quickly running through them and not necessarily spending as much time so we know that Isaac's birth is foretold. So this is the, the fact the promise was given now 25 years to the, you know, almost to the date of the initial covenant being told or blessed upon promise being given to Abraham. Isaac is born. Another uh, child within a Tanakh that is promised before foretold is Samuel. Samuel's mother goes in and if you recall the story, she's She's praying and Eli thinks she's drunk, you know, but the birth of Samuel is foretold. And then Samuel is given into the house of the Lord to serve. Another birth uh, that is foretold is this birth of Samson. And with this particular one, um, Samson's mother is in the house of the Lord. An angel appears to her and she tells her husband and her husband seeks to get confirmation. And this is what she's one of the, one, the unique ones where the person who receives the word actually wants a confirmation and he comes back and the Lord still comes back and speaks to the wife. But the, 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 the act of speaking to the wife was confirmation again to the father and Samson is born. 
Uh, another one in the, the Tanakh, which I didn't know of, is Solomon. Solomon, bin, um, you had a scripture for Solomon. If you don't mind, if you can share that scripture for the birth of Solomon being one of them. But the one I found was the Shunammite woman with Elijah. And I believe that one was in, uh, I think that was in Kings, real quickly. Yeah, I closed out the browser tab when we started. So I understand. It's fine. I think that's in the in Second Kings. Yeah, Second Kings chapter four. Um, it, he says, uh, "Next year you will embrace his son." Second Kings chapter four. That's also part of our Torah portion. Uh, Torah portion, our Torah portion rather. And then another one that is um, in the Tanakh, which I did not know about, is Josiah. Josiah is foretold, and that's First Kings chapter thirteen, verse two. Another birth that is foretold long before it happens in the Tanakh is in Isaiah chapter forty-four, and that's King Cyrus. Um, you can find that in Isaiah forty-four, verse twenty-eight, and of course Yeshua, Yeshua, that whose birth is foretold, and we see him in the New Testament, the Renewed Covenant, then. Um, is is foretold in Isaiah chapter nine verse six, and unto us a child is born. Um, but in the renewed covenant, we have the birth of John the Baptist with Zacharias and Elizabeth. Uh, then there's other contexts or allusions to other contexts, and one that I had never heard of, which was allusions again to the Messiah's birth, which was even found in Genesis chapter three verse fifteen. Um, so there's a few different scriptures that refer to Yeshua's birth or the Messiah's birth long before that ever happens. So what I, the purpose of me bringing out these scriptures is, so he uses the irony of the situation to name the child. And then secondly, the, the irony of what the child is named is also purposeful. And, sec, and in addition to that, it, she, she declares the purpose of it when she now has the fulfillment of it. So Sarah says, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. For he, who would have said Abraham to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children for I have borne him a son in his old age. And as we already know, coming into next week's Torah portion, he has children again, Abraham that is. So it's, it seems like one in the, the words of a dear friend of ours, the problem wasn't Abraham, it was, Abraham, it was really Sarah. And I don't know necessarily if that is a joke only for a believer, but it's not necessarily a problem as much as a development or a, a growth that needed to happen, that faith walk that needed to be nurtured for her to have the fulfillment of that promise. Because we see in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Sarah. So just as much as by faith, Abraham, and he looked and he journeyed and he 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 uh as chapter 11 reads and he awaited a day or he foresaw a day um a city whose builder and foundation is the lord so too sarah also had to walk out her faith journey and that's the that is a real walk and it is very individualized and it's not about time it's not time bound it's there is time involved in it, but it's he's God has declared over us a set place, a set purpose, and there's a plan for us. He already knows that you are going to have challenges with what he's declared regarding you, especially when it doesn't, it's not likened to who 
you think you are who other people have called you. So it seems to me that when Sarah now confirms it with the birth of the child and she sees the manifestation of the child, that she's also recognizing, oh my goodness, who would have thought? I would not have thought. I'm referring to myself. More than everybody else and all of the naysayers that may have been out in the world, more so to me, I knew that I laughed too. Um, and so is there anything too hard for God? Not at all. Nothing is. Lord, develop those that faith walk on the inside of us to believe you from the outset and to journey with you to our destination. So the next thing we see is Hagar and Ishmael. And in the Hagar and Ishmael situation, we see that they are told that they will not inherit, that this bond woman will not inherit with the, the son of promise. And we see that in this, the renewed covenant that that is foretold as both a spiritual and a physical enslavement. So there's a, a spiritual birth from heaven. That's really what's happening in this um, Hagar and Ishmael position. If you, and if you don't mind, can you give me the scriptures for the Brit Hadashah that kind of ties in with the Hagar and Ishmael situation? But I do find it's very interesting that from chapter 21 to chapter 22 with the binding of Isaac, this Torah portion, um, according to the Torah portions for the Jewish annual cycles, it comes back again. We reread this portion um, during Yom Kippur. And it is normally uh, required that we do the reading regarding Abraham's faith being confirmed, which is the, called the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. But it's so it's it's so prominently came up inside of me this morning that even before the binding of Isaac, I think is directly connected to what Yom Kippur is. And if, for those who don't know, Yom being day, Kippur, Kippur is atonement. It is the day set aside, a moed, one of the moedim set by God that we are to. A, pray for our, our sins to be forgiven us, but ultimately that is the day that is foretold and prophetically will be the day that we will be fully redeemed, totally redeemed from what this world's conditioned uh, state is. We will be redeemed back to Eden. We will be in the, the, the position that we were before the fall or the the act of sin entering the world. So that full atonement is both mind, body, and spirit. So the, the day of atonement that everyone is looking at and saying, this thing is a picture of the day of atonement. I thought to myself, well, that is very profound for uh, Jewish people to liken the binding of Isaac to the day of atonement. Because what specifically is the picture or the understanding here of atonement in offering one's only begotten son. Now, this is leaving out understanding of who Yeshua is going to be. Although you and I have found that in our walk, we believe in the birth of the Messiah as the representation of what Abraham was doing here with Isaac. But for a Jewish person and for the sages who described this portion for the Day of Atonement, what did they see in this portion that likened, or specifically in the binding of Isaac, that likened it to atonement? 
And I was curious about this. And so I went to Safaria um, to read a little bit more. And so that's gonna be my last few words regarding this. And then, you know, if you wanna add anything to this, feel free. So I'm going to read um, from one of the, uh, the rabbis real quickly. I just wanna kind of talk about this from what I would say is, uh, I don't know, I guess you could say, it is incumbent of us to ask two things when we read this, because one of the things that we don't think of is what this must have been like from somebody else's perspective, their, their journey and how this, new, this journey required this step, okay? So Rashi says in Sanhedrin 89b that, it, that when it says after these things, uh, it means that the words of Hasatan denounced Abraham, saying of all the banquets which Abraham prepared, not a single bullock, not a single ram, did he bring as a sacrifice to you? Um, God replied to him, does he do anything at all except for his son's sake? Yet, if I were to bid him sacrifice him to me, he would not refuse. Others say that it means after the words of Ishmael, who boasted to Isaac, that he had been circumcised when he was 13 years old without resisting, Isaac replied to him, you think to intimidate me by mentioning the loss of one part of the body. If the Holy One, blessed be he, were to tell me, sacrifice yourself to me, I would not refuse. So this is the precursor. And in the book of Jasher, it actually talks about this in this entire story uh, in a lot more context. But I want you to understand, so this, these, there's three people that are really involved in this Akeda, and it's not just Abraham and Isaac and the Lord. It is also Ishmael. And what happens in 21 with Ishmael is also directly linked to this Day of Atonement. And so when the Lord is, what, it, what this is alluding to, if you go into the book of Joshua, it does say that because he was separated, Ishmael was separated from his father due to this act of inheritance, this, this position of you will not inherit what the promised son is going to inherit, separate yourself. And the fact that Ishmael was sent away creates like a division, okay? And the thing that helps in bringing peace between these two parts or these two parties is this thing that happens in chapter 22. So if you wanna to go to the book of Joshua, you can go and find out more details, but it seems like there was a, I've given, I've given myself and I followed my father without question in Ishmael. When he said to depart, I did not hold it against my father that he asked me and my mother to depart. Although there is also a, a covenant blessing that God um, speaks to Hagar regarding Ishmael because Ishmael is a young man. You know, he's not, you know, he's not a baby. He's not 13 years old when they depart. Um, he was 13 years old when he was circumcised. He's not 13 at this event. But when the Lord says that there's going to be a blessing even on Ishmael, Ishmael, you would think receiving that blessing, it would have been enough, sufficient. But no, it seems like there, there was some contention. And in the book of Joshua, it says that the story is that between Ishmael and Isaac, they were contending for the 
the who's the more obedient son position. You know, I'll I'll follow my father regardless of what he says. I'll do what my father says even unto death, even unto he asks me to separate from him, then I will do what he says. It's more along the lines, if anyone's going to inherit it, why wouldn't it be the one who does what is not even beneficial to himself? And so this coming into this um, binding, Isaac is now of the opinion, not only have I been favored, but I have I been favored without testing. And so have I been prepared enough to, to um, maintain the weight of this covenant that's being passed down to me because I've already been chosen. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of going back to this faith walk. I've already been chosen. I've already been given this promise. Can I maintain the requirements of it when I have never been tested and my faith has never been tested? You can say Ishmael's faith, faith was tested. He was tested in the circumcision. You know, you was your circumcision at eight days old, much of a test. It was done to you before you could know anything about it totally different thing. He was tested with the separation from his father's household is the fact that you're staying and you're still in liberty in your mother's tent. What, how much of a test is that? And yes, the context of the story may seem like it's brotherly ribbing, but it's not, it's a little bit more than that. What is going to determine how capable are you as the called out one, the, the body of Messiah to maintain this promise. And I think if you think about it from the perspective of what most Christians perceive the day of atonement to be, when Christians say, you know, we don't need Yom Kippur because the Lord already died. He's already, he redeemed us already. He has become our replacement just as in the story of Abraham and Isaac. He is the ram in the thicket. He's already maintained that, but we still live in these bodies that are still questioning. We're still not fully redeemed in regards to how our flesh fights against our spirit. We're still not fully redeemed in regards to our, our willingness to obey and walk fully out this covenant with the Lord. And I think when we talk about this place where the faith of Abraham is being confirmed for him, I think it's more so the Isaac the son of promise, the one who receives the, 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 this covenant that receives the blessing that seemingly is given to you in a full package is also being tested. And so I want to kind of summarize in this. When you see Isaac take upon himself the, the wood and he puts that wood upon himself and he's willingly laying himself down and he's saying, it is okay with my soul if you, you do this. If you, if you utilize me unto death, it is okay. That is the call for true believers in Messiah. Because one of the things that I am talking about that I don't hear enough preachers talking about, yes, we may be redeemed. We may be completely called from the fire like the three Hebrew boys. But if our commitment is not unto death, that we will serve even unto death, is the weight of the, or the blessing of the covenant fully protected and valued by us as we're walking it out? Are we becoming true lights and reflections of what this truthfully in, requires and entails when we don't have full commitment 
even onto the full replacement. Now, God is not requiring us to fully to die onto to to die onto a physical self. He's requiring a spiritual flesh death. He's saying, "Have you given priority to what my word has been over you, and are you going to allow my word to be even more life and light to you?" than the words of the flesh and the wants of the flesh and the wants of what this world, not the word, but the wants of the world regarding you. And that has been what has shaken me every season when I read this portion. And the Lord appears to me to ask me, am I maintaining my walk? Have I put my hand to the plow and am I going to be committed unto the end? Am I going to bear my cross as the, 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 the psalmist and the songwriters tend to reiterate? Am I going to follow in Yeshua's footsteps? That is a true follower of the Messiah. That is what it, this covenant requires. That is leading onto true atonement because we're saying this, that we are believing is more real to us than this shortened lifespan and the things of fulfilling the wants of the flesh to us. And that's what we see in the binding of Isaac. At least that is what I've seen in this year's Torah portion or in this reading of this Torah portion. Mm -hmm. So at the conclusion of our reading, um, is there any takeaways, any one-minute takeaways that you would like to share with others? I stand on the same thing I said from the beginning. The company you keep helps you determine your destiny. So keep an eye on those people along your path for good, for bad, for whatever, because the way you go is highly dependent on what you're looking at and who you're interacting with and what you're sharpening yourself with, everything that you said tied to all of that. You're absolutely, um, you're absolutely, we're absolutely in agreement. And I do see that there is um, a call, you know, for us to, when God is calling out to us, for us to say, Himani, here am I. Um, and I want that in us reading and studying that we need to see that there is a call just as much as God's promises and his love is seeking to be around us and surround us and draw us closer to him. He's also waiting for us to respond to his call with a Hineni, here am I. And so I, I ask that we would close with the Eskayim or a prayer to return. Eskayim hi la maka zikimba betom ukeha meyushar derakeha darke noam the call nativo teha teke the call nativo teha shalom. Hashi benu Adonai Eleka benna shuba Kharesh Kharesh Yamenu Kharesh Yamenu Kekedem. It is a tree of life to those who take hold of it, and those who support it are praiseworthy. Its ways are ways of pleasantness, and all its paths are peace. Bring us back, Lord, to you, and we shall come. Renew our days as of old. Shalom, y'all.